0: Save your seat now at growandemaiallist.com. That's growandemaiallist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. I encourage people to look at data and numbers like that to kind of evaluate how you're doing. But I also want to discourage this desire to almost box yourself in or say, I'm a failure because I didn't hit this number. Well, hello there, Kylie. Hi, this is fun. I get to see your face while we record now. I know. For anyone listening, the software that we use to record our podcast just released video, which is slightly terrifying, but also really cool at the same time. Because part of the reason why I got into podcasting was to not have to be on video. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all good because I got to record a few interviews with video, which I was in my pajamas. I mean, there was zero production value, but it was really fun. It felt like I was sitting with a friend. So today will be the same.
1: Yes. Well, I did not polish myself up for this conversation. So (laughs) if you're sitting out there hoping to see a video version of this, keep hoping because it's not happening. (laughs) Keep waiting. But it'll still be fun. I'm excited for this because, first of all, a lot of my work was done for me because we turned to the gold digger audience on Instagram and inside our private Facebook community for gold diggers to dig up some questions that you have for Jenna. And I didn't put any stipulations on what these questions could be personal business everything in between is all on the table I think I picked what I have like 10 questions on there there's a lot there's a lot And I gave you very limited time to prepare. So this will really be off the cuff, Jenna.
0: (laughs) Here we go. I'm ready. Let drum roll, please. What does the Gold Digger community want to know? All right. Let's start
1: with a business question. This is from Lexi Regalado. And she wants to know, what do you think about Clubhouse? Is it worth spending time there for your business? Now, I know you've kind of experimented on that platform. So I'm curious here, too.
0: So I was so resistant to join because I feel like every time there's a new platform, just the learning curve is so steep and the amount of time you have to pour into it to get results feels almost crippling. But it was funny because someone messaged me and they're like, you need to get on there. Somebody already took your username. And I was Ah. like, what? Shoot. And so I did jump on there at first just to make my own username and I did not understand how it worked. And the first time I jumped in there, I accidentally clicked start a room which means I'm inviting people to listen to my voice. And so I heard all these voices joining and I panicked and I went into the (laughs) settings of my phone and I removed permissions for people to like listen. And I was like, I have no idea what I just did, but I'm terrified. So that was my first clubhouse experience. However, over the last few weeks, I've actually been diving in on the platform just when I'm free or when I'm not like doing super focused work. And it's pretty incredible. So for those who don't know what it is, it's basically like listening to live conversations. You enter a room and usually they're talking about a specific topic. There's generally a moderator and it's kind of like a panel. The one interesting thing about it is it's all live. It's not recorded and you can't access it after the fact. And so for me... I'm still on the fence of like the value of it because if you can get into a room with a thousand people live, that's pretty powerful. You can connect with a thousand people, but there are some people that literally spend 12 hours a day on that platform. And I think it just stinks because you're not preserving it. And that's why I love podcasting is it's like we're preserving this library of resources for people to listen to in their own timing. But I have gained these little nuggets of wisdom on specific topics. I've been really exposed to new people who I probably wouldn't have met without Clubhouse. And it's just been a really cool way to like jump into a room and like hear with some of my friends, like Amy Porterfield's on or Brendan Burchard's on. And so it feels like a way to stay connected. So it's interesting.
1: I applaud you for getting on that platform because I mean we are in the same age bracket where we're starting to get towards the edge of being cool <laughs> technology, I feel like. Right. <laughs> and I I mean, I'm still learning. I got an invite from somebody that I don't even know. And I was like, okay, I'll grab my username. Same as you. But again, yeah. I, I'm still learning how to show up there too. So very cool. It's
0: interesting because I'm in a lot of Instagram DMs where people will say like, we're launching our room. We want you to come in and join and offer insight. But the weird thing about it is if you're on it, like every time I log in, people make me a speaker. And so then I'm terrified because if I'm like hanging with Coco or like getting ready, I'm like, please don't call on me when I'm not ready. But yeah, it's an interesting platform. And I do think that in this world, it works because people are at home. They're more available. You can kind of passively partake in it. And it just feels like you're connecting with people. It's cool to connect in the moment. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't want to spend
1: too much time on Clubhouse, but I did read something interesting from Mark Asquith, who is like a podcasting guru and I'm on his email list. And he was saying like, keep in mind as the platform is still free right now, when a product is free, you are the product. And so it'll be interesting to see how Clubhouse evolves and how pay to play comes in down the road. So I just, it's definitely cool to keep like your finger on that. Cool. Love it. All right. Court Hope Wilson wants to know, are hashtags out? It seems like they don't perform as much now.
0: No, I don't think so. So there was a little bit of a change during the presidential election where they were trying to combat false news and they kind of removed hashtags from the equation for a bit. It's so interesting because I feel like Instagram does a lot of things like this where we're not totally sure what that means, how it shows up, how it impacts. But research from HubSpot says that in 2021, posts with 9 to 11 hashtags perform best according to their tests. And one of the things that I've realized, and we've got to keep in mind, is that Instagram is looking at your image to see the context of the image. And so I think what happens is, is when people apply hashtags that have nothing to do with their Image, it almost like sends a red flag or like a warning signal of like, we're not exactly sure what the context is. So if you post a photo of a tree, but you hashtag it motherhood, it might just get a little confusing. So What I think is instead of the days of the past where you would have a list of 30 hashtags programmed into your phone and you would just bada bing, bada boom them at the end of your post, I think it's really important to ask yourself, what is this an image of? What is the context of it? And how can I make sure that I'm hedging my bets in the terms of choosing hashtags that have a lot of posts and then hashtags that don't have as many. Do you want to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond? And the cool thing with hashtags is you have the ability to do both of those things, but sometimes less is more. So I think highly targeted contextually based and something that changes often so that you're not relying on the same set of hashtags to produce results. And if you do have a business account, you can actually see the insights to see how many people are finding you from hashtags. And the confusing piece of that is you can't see exactly which hashtag was the one that was the winner, but it can give you some grounds for testing and experimenting with different numbers and different tags.
1: Yeah, that's the key, right? Just testing the hashtags. We've been playing yes. around with hashtag strategy on the Gold Digger Instagram account. And that's the thing, you just have to keep testing. If the algorithm yes. keeps changing, you have to keep testing.
0: Yes. And it's hard sometimes because we don't know which variable is actually moving the needle. And if you're performing too many tests at once, then you're like, did I get lucky? Was it (laughs) so, you know, and so just keep experimenting and keep remembering too that Instagram isn't just about engagement. Engagement is so important. Yes. But Instagram should be used to drive results. So sometimes my posts that get the least amount of engagement drive the biggest results for my business because they're highly specific and they're likely asking people to take another step with me, whether that's to join my email list or hop into a training or sign up for a webinar. And so don't confuse engagement and results. Keep those separate. And I think you'll be all right.
1: Awesome. Okay. Taryn Strickler asks, what is SEO exactly? Are there any resources you recommend for learning more about it and using it to build a business?
0: Yes. Okay. So SEO is search engine optimization. And basically it's just getting into this practice of increasing the quantity and the quality of traffic that lands on your website. And the cool thing about SEO is a lot of times when you're good at it, you're able to get results without having to pay. So you're basically trying to make yourself found on search engines, make it really easy for anyone that's searching for who you are, what you do, how you serve, so that you pop up at the top of the list. And so, one of the things that we've been doing on our team, because I can be totally honest, we understand SEO, but we were never proficient, I would say. We were using it, but not maybe utilizing it to its fullest extent. And so, recently, Marissa, our integrator, did some one on one SEO training with a guy named Ryan Moreno, who specializes in Show It. So, the platform that we use our website on. So, he specializes. So, one of the things is if you have a platform, on Squarespace or on WordPress or you know on show it like we use you can likely find an SEO expert that understands your platform and that's going to help for you to utilize the right keywords and in the right places on your website or in your blog posts that will drive the biggest results. So when you think about it like when I was a wedding photographer I wanted to be A top search result when somebody typed in Wisconsin wedding photographers, or now, you know, Pinterest courses, or learn how to use Instagram for business. And so you just wanna make things as simple as possible. And one of the biggest lessons that we learned is a lot of times we try to be cutesy with our headings, or we want to be quirky or funny or punny. But in reality, SEO is about simplifying everything so that it's super crystal clear on who you are, what you do, how you serve, and what you've got for sale. Perfect, simple explanation.
1: And I think, Taryn, the woman who asked the question... Even the fact that you're curious about learning about SEO means you're on the right track, because you're not gonna be an expert in that area. But even just doing a quick Google search on how to optimize your page, you're already on the right track. So don't be overwhelmed if you haven't nailed it, because even we're still figuring it out.
0: Yes, and there are great plugins that you can add to things like WordPress that literally walk you through and give you like a red light, a green light, like if you're doing all right on your own. So do not be overwhelmed. Even small steps can make a huge difference for you. When it comes to content creation, you either do it because you love it or because you know it's a powerful business tool. sites, and so much more. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.
1: All right. Laura sits asks, what are you seeing in podcast trends? What's a good download goal to shoot for per episode within the first year of growth? Oh,
0: so this is really interesting because it's going to vary from person to person, from podcast to podcast, from even topic to topic. We see so many different ebbs and flows based on the conversations or the guest, or the topic that we're covering. And so the first thing that I want to just encourage whenever somebody is looking for a baseline number for anything, whether it's Instagram followers or likes or podcast downloads, is that you have to define what success will look like for you and what impact feels like for you. And I have just been catching so many people who are just starting out who get so focused on the masses that they forget about the power of their message. And so you want to set your own goals. And we've got some parameters. So here are some industry standard stats, which will maybe just help you kind of understand. So, according to the feed, which is a podcast published by our podcast hosting service, which is Libsyn, they say that if your episodes get more than 124 downloads in 30 days, you're in the top 50% of podcasts. Let me say that again, 124 downloads in 30 days, you're in the top 50%. And if your episode gets more than 6,700 downloads, you're in the top 3%. So you can see that there is a huge variability based off of what percentage you're in. And I don't really think that matters, but that kind of gives you some baseline ideas. Now, the only thing, and I was actually just talking to one of my friends about this because she just launched a podcast and she was like can I get sponsors? Can I monetize it? And I was like, okay, the one thing that I need to know in order to know if you can monetize is what your numbers are. Like how many people are downloading, how many people are tuning in? And so podcast downloads matter the most because that is the metric that sponsors look at and say, okay, this is how many ears we can get into this, is how many people our message can be exposed to. So really, we didn't monetize specifically in this realm for a couple of years. And so it's a very slow grow. And I think it's a really intentional grow. And especially with so many people jumping into podcasting right now, you want to just be cognizant that you're focusing on serving. And I think it's so important too, just like with Instagram, if you have you know 10 followers or 100 followers, you're given this opportunity to be on stage in front of 100 people. If you're getting 100 downloads or 200 downloads, You're speaking to 200 people. That's such an honor and a gift. And the more that you serve, the more that people will share your show. What do you think, Kylie? Well, I was blown away by those numbers
1: because you think you see your big podcasts that you tune into, that you subscribe to, and you see the success around their show. And you think, wow, I could never get close to that. Or that's so intimidating. Or how did they do it? But in reality... 124 downloads per episode still puts you in the top 50%. And so if you're a person who likes to press your work up against more traditional numbers that indicate you're doing well, then I think those numbers are really encouraging. Like you said, really numbers only matter if you're looking to monetize. And yeah, you need bigger numbers to bring in bigger sponsorship dollars. But a podcast can serve many different purposes for your business. You know, It can be a funnel into your business. It can point to your other offers. And it can just impact whether you have 10 people listening or 100,000 people listening every episode. So I see it a lot. I'm in a lot of podcast support groups as it's my job and my passion and my superpower to talk about podcasts all the time. And that's the number one question that comes up is, I have 100 downloads in my first week. Is that good? The answer is Yes, Yes. that's
0: great. (laughs) You
1: showed up, you recorded and you
0: did the thing and people are listening. It's great. And I think it's funny too, because whenever people ask for statistics like that, it's kind of because entrepreneurship is likely the first time in your life where you're not getting a grade. You're not sitting down with a boss. You're not getting someone to say, job well done, or we need you to push harder here. And so it's interesting because I encourage people to look at data and numbers like that to kind of evaluate how you're doing. But I also want to discourage this desire to almost box yourself in or say i'm a failure because i didn't hit this number. i think numbers can give us power or they can take away our power. and so it's just always interesting it's like how are you going to use this data and what does that mean for you as you continue on your quest to pursue your passions. Yeah,
1: for sure. One number i do like to look at with podcast episodes until like i kind of gauge your growth especially at the beginning is how many downloads you get in the first 24 hours from episode to episode. And so if you're seeing that your episode from three weeks ago hit X amount, but you got 20% more in the first day a month later, you know that you're growing and you're bringing in new subscribers. And those are going to be those automatic downloads in the first day. So if you want to, you know, measure your success, look at growth versus like just the granular number. I can talk about podcasting all day. (laughs) I do actually. (laughs) Well, here's another podcast question. Heather Hamlet Alto asks, from someone starting a new podcast, how do you go about getting bigger named local celebrities or other larger podcasters, authors, etc., to consider doing an interview
0: with you on your show? What are the best ways to
1: connect with them?
0: I love this question. And I think that it's way easier than you actually believe. So one of the things that I think is so cool about podcasting is you have the platform to share with somebody, even if it's a small platform. It feels like an honor that somebody wants for you to share your expertise or your story. So the first thing that I would say is start with people that don't normally get asked to do interviews, that don't have a ton of interviews done because these people, one, probably have unique stories to share, but two, probably see this as an immense honor to share their story. Now, the one thing that I will say that I think can absolutely change the trajectory for you is if you can get one big name that is almost a social proof, you can go, the sky's the limit. I've seen it so many times where people will pitch to us or You know, invite us onto their show. And if they have one big name where I'm like, whoa, they have that person, this must be good. And so, if you can really foster a relationship and support someone else and someone that you want to become a guest on your show, if you can really offer advice or, you know, help them out or serve them at some capacity and build a relationship that then enables you to ask them to come on your show, I just think that one piece of social proof, I've heard it from so many people where it's like, I got one yes. And that one yes just unlocked so many more yeses because of that social proof. So my friend Russell Brunson talks about creating this dream 100 list in his most recent book. He has a really cool explanation, but basically he follows and makes a list of a hundred people that he wants to get in touch with or work with or partner with or interview And he sets notifications for them so that he can encourage them and be a part of their platform and cheer them on and watch what they're doing and stay in the know. And so we actually make like a dream 100 list for our podcast of people that we want to support and serve and be like offering feedback and encouragement. And that way, too, then we are offering them something so that when it comes time for us to ask for their precious time, we can tell them what's in it for them. But I just think, too, there are so many incredible people like doctors or librarians or people that never get the opportunity to share their incredible story. And so start with those people first who find it as the biggest honor. And I will say, too, Don't disregard the power of micro influencers. A lot of times we focus so much on these big names, but when you work with people that are big names, it's probably not as big of a deal for them to come on your show. They get interviewed all the time. They probably don't have the bandwidth to share and shout out your interview a million times, but the people who really value the opportunity that you're presenting to them, who maybe haven't gotten a chance to share their story in that way, sometimes those people move the needle even more than the big names.
1: Yeah. I love to say it's my favorite piece of advice for every aspect of life, but you miss every shot you don't take. Mm -hmm. If you haven't asked that big name, if you don't follow them on Instagram, if you're not dropping into their DMs or commenting on their feeds, then you are missing out on an opportunity to get a yes. Yes. So if you want those big names, show up and ask for them. I love it. Cool. All right. This is the last of our business questions for this round. Karishma Machala wants to know, it's been four months since I started my online business. How do I get started with content marketing? I want to keep it simple for now and there are only paid resources online and I'm not sure if they would work for me.
0: So one of the things that I think is so important, and we actually teach this in our program, the content lab is that every piece of content that you're making should be tied to a direct result. So a lot of times people start creating content, whether it's on social media or a blog or wherever you're going to be creating and they create for the sake of creating, but they're never really having a through line to the content. And they're never really able to measure what that piece of content is doing for them in terms of work. And so I Think it's super important if you're going to start with free content marketing is to make sure that your content that you're spending your precious time on is tied to an end result. Now I blogged for, I mean, I've blogged for the last decade, probably more than a decade. I've shown up consistently every single week and it's a part of just serving. And so the best things if you're going to be starting out with content marketing is answering the questions that you get asked the most, which again, can tie into that SEO or search engine optimization. And two, you want to focus on connection. So serving and connection are the two big pieces of how you want to create content. And I love that you say you want to keep it simple for now because content creation doesn't have to be consuming. It can be super thoughtful and it can be results oriented. And so you just want to commit to creating as much content as you can manage and set yourself up for success this way. So even if it's just one piece of content a month or one piece of content a week, you just want to make sure that as you're creating it. It's super intentional. It's created for your audience, not for your ego. And it's also helping you to drive results, answer questions, or connect with people that might be your potential clients. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't- no, actually, don't drop your mic, please. <laughs>
0: having
1: answered five oh what five business questions. Now, Jetta, it's time to get a little bit vulnerable. And I'm okay. excited to, to ask you this question right off the bat, because I think it comes up a lot. And I think it's something that you consider and think about often and we talk about. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to answer Tay Rosenthal's question. Do you ever feel like you're no longer relatable since you've made it to the quote, big leagues?
0: Well, it kind of makes me laugh because I don't feel like I've made it to the big leagues. So (laughs) I question what you define as the big leagues, but I respect your sincerity in asking that. I think about this all the time and I struggle with it a lot, to be candid. I think that I, you know, this year will be a decade of entrepreneurship for me. So 10 years of hard work. Most of that was on my own by myself without this incredible team that I have today. And I am not so far removed that I've forgotten any of what it feels like to be in those early days. Like I can close my eyes and go back to, you know, wondering if I'm going to be able to pay my student loans or wondering if I can make the leap or wondering if Drew's actually going to find a job that he likes. And so all of those things are still very much with me. However, I think that when it comes to relatability what I've learned a lot in this past year is I only know my own experience. And I think that goes for all of us. And so I can be out of touch with reality in the sense of what people are going through and experiencing that are starting today. You know, I know my experience from starting 10 years ago, and I remember that so well, but also starting today is different. You know, it's a different climate. There's different needs. It's just a harder playing field to walk on to so It's been interesting because I think being from the Midwest and living in the Midwest, I still feel incredibly grounded. I still feel like my heart is the same heart that started all of this. But I constantly have to ask myself, you know, what is my audience going through? And is my role to try to go back to those early days to remember what it feels like? Or is my goal to paint the possibility of what is possible if they're willing to do the hard work? And it's this Constant teeter totter of both of those things. And I don't know if you can ever nail the balance perfectly, but it's interesting. And yeah, I mean, it's hard. I don't know. I do think it's very hard. I think it's
1: always interesting that relatability comes up with you specifically. I mean, obviously, I know you behind the scenes. We're friends as much as we are, you know, boss employee. But I never think as relatability as a qualifying metric for someone that I'm learning from. You know, I want points of connection. You know, I want to see myself in your story in certain places. But I don't think mentors, you know, those people who are 10 steps, 20 steps ahead of me necessarily are always relatable in their life circumstances. And that's why they're my mentors, you know? Yeah. So it's just so interesting because I think that word relatability comes up every now and then with you. And we talk, we're like, no, you are painting the possibility. And I don't think relatability is the baseline. I don't think that's necessarily a requirement for you to be a mentor to someone.
0: I think it's interesting too because I feel like men in business that are really successful, they tout, you know, private jets and this new car and you know my sprawling lake house in Lake Tahoe. And women a lot of times stifle that success or are afraid to share that because of the perceptions. And it's so unique being in a position to even question like should I share this? Should I not? Like, you know, and so I just think it is Important that when you're looking at mentors or people that are ahead of you, do they live the type of life you want to live and are they happy? And I think that happy can be relatable and joyful and peaceful. And like those are the things that I want to relate to with somebody, maybe not necessarily where they live or what they drive or anything like that. And so I think it's really easy to get it twisted and to kind of get confused in your own journey about what matters to you and what success looks like to you. So beautifully put. Okay. It's a hard question. (laughs) I know.
1: I wanted to start out with a hard one so you feel like we got through it. We got through it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Cece Jans asks, what is something you do every morning to start your day off on a good note? We had a lot of like daily routine questions.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because a lot of times I've felt embarrassed because I feel like so many successful people have these really elaborate morning routines oh, yeah. and jumping in I freezing just, cold water. Yes, <laughs> I've never been someone that is like that because sometimes those routines feel like they're constricting to me based mm-hmm. off of like, I want to do what I want to do in the moment that I want to do it. And so like For example, this morning, Drew and I both woke up. We don't have our phones in the bedroom, and we both read a chapter in our book and we read for fun. And that's just something that I love is like waking up slowly and not like feeling that urgency. And it's cute too because Coco is very content with herself. And so in the morning, she'll wake up and she'll just chit chat into her monitor. So a lot of times we'll sit there and watch her for a couple minutes and say, Oh, she's so cute. Uh, Like all (laughs) annoying parents do. but I don't have an elaborate morning routine. I think part of motherhood is just going with the flow, but I do just like, we don't set alarms. And I think that's one of the biggest ways that I define success in my life is that I don't have to set an alarm and I allow myself to wake up when I wake up or when Coco wakes me up. And so, yeah, just starting the day slowly, nothing fancy. I don't journal for eight hours. I don't meditate. I would love to do all of those things. And I could if I made it a priority. But right now, sleep is my priority.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay, this is actually my question because I admire your ability to show up online completely authentic. Whenever I meet someone and they know what I do and who I work for, they ask, Oh, is she really like that? (laughs) Like, is she as cool as she seems or is she as nice as she seems? All that. And I always encourage them, Like, yeah, she is. But what I want to know have you ever had. A vulnerability hangover after sharing something online? Like, do you ever have, I'm not regret, but have you ever felt, ooh, that didn't feel good to show up in that way?
0: Honestly, the only vulnerability hangover that I still hold on to is oversharing some of the early days of Coco's life. And I think it's super interesting because as a new parent and someone who highly anticipated becoming a mom, it just felt like so many people had been on that journey with us. And it just, it was so natural to want to share like the greatest joy of my life. But I do wish that I would have allowed myself more time to like let the hormones settle, assess what feels right. And there was nothing in particular that I shared that I'm like, oh gosh. But the other piece that I think is interesting, and it's also from a motherhood standpoint, just because, you know, I'm so protective of my child, like any mother is, is I wish that we would have never shared her real name, Because I just don't love that you could Google my child. I wish we would have just gone by like a nickname the whole time or called her Coco and her name's Conley. And so there are pieces. And I think that's the trickiest thing to navigate because it's not just my story, it's hers. So I kind of operate from the philosophy of if I were to have to ask an adult, if this was appropriate to share, I probably shouldn't be posting it of my child that comes with bath time or potty training or anything like that. Like if I had to ask someone, can I post a picture of you sitting on the toilet? They'd probably say no. (laughs) So I'm not going to share those moments of my child. And so I think we share a lot less these days. And I, don't necessarily regret it. But if I could go back, I might have navigated it just slightly differently, knowing what I know now and how I just feel like a protective mama bear.
1: That's so interesting to think about to think that someday like Conley could Google herself. You know, isn't and, that wild? Yeah. Wow.
0: That's And an that's going to be probably normal for kids. Like that's, you know, like this generation, it's like our photo albums live on Facebook and things like that. So that's going to be normal, but you also want to be respectful of what they'll find. And yeah, it's interesting. I don't have all the answers and I think I respect whatever people choose is best for them for sure, but it's a mind game for sure. Yeah. Well, since we're
1: on the topic of kiddos and motherhood, let's end it off here with Kelsey Cundiff's question. She asks, what advice would you give to a mom just starting a business now with a baby and a toddler at home and no team yet to help buffer motherhood and entrepreneurship? And I put this in the lifestyle section because I think it is more about that lifestyle. Yeah.
0: I think that first off, just having grace upon grace for yourself. But looking at time as your most important resource. So I think a lot of times when we're starting a business, a lot of our thoughts are around money, earning money, making money, spending money, what it is. And especially as a mom, if you can look at time as your most valuable resource and really focus on quality time, however that can show up for you, whether that's quality time working or quality time with your children. I think the worst for our brains, for our hearts, for peace in our life is when we feel like we're half in on everything. And so if you only have an hour to work after you put your kids to bed, make it super focused work that actually moves the needle forward. You know, if you have to turn on the letter factory on Netflix for your children while you get a little bit of work done, like it's part of the sacrifice, but make sure you're not sacrificing your life in order to make a living. I think that, I often feel conflicted like when Coco comes running in and I'm on my computer and I'm in the middle of something and now I'm trying to like put YouTube in the corner of my screen so she can watch Baby Shark while I'm trying to finish up an email. And it's just those are the hard moments. So I think just be really realistic. Give yourself a longer runway and then just make whatever time you've got super focused, whether it's focused on your children or focused on your job, but grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I think too, it's like, I used to try to hide working from Coco. Like I would almost try to pretend like I don't work because I just wanted all the attention on her. But now I think it's really important that she sees her mom working and that she understands that the reason why we get to live the way we do is because I work. And so integrating that into their understanding can be powerful too, because now she doesn't bawl when I say, like, mommy's got to get to work, you know, which was the worst when I'd have to like hide in a bedroom and hear her little knocks on the door. So,
1: <laughs> well, now I have to say that some of the brightest, giggliest moments of our week as a team is when Coco makes a cameo on our (laughs) team team call. And she's done whatever, the smoothie bowl, whatever Uh, she's eating, and she will put her hand up. And of course, we can't resist waving back. And then it's just us waving for 25 (laughs) minutes. And it is the Uh, best thing. I think I took a screenshot of a team call once where you are shoveling a scoop of food into her mouth while you're giving us like quarterly numbers updates. And I'm just like, this is, I aspire to this. This is what I want.
0: (laughs) And it's beautiful. It's like really cool now because it's like, she can see the people that I work with and understand a little bit more. And so it is a juggle. And, you know, I think it's important to note that like Drew is a stay at home dad, but we don't have outside help beyond that. And so. I very much put her down for nap and wake her up from her nap. And I'm a part of her everyday life while fitting work in instead of trying to fit motherhood into a workday. So it's a privilege to be able to operate on that level, but I'm a very involved mother. And so that comes sometimes at the sacrifice of finishing complete sentences or including a happy face emoji when you're quickly typing a Slack message, which is (laughs) funny. I love it. Well, that brought us to the
1: end of our
0: Jenna advice column. I think we should do these more often. It was fun. Yes, super fun. And if you have a question that you want to ask, make sure that you are following Gold Digger Podcast on Instagram and ask to join our private community on Facebook, which is Gold Digger Podcast Insiders, which has tens of thousands of listeners, an amazing conversation each week. And then you can ask your question for the next round of these. Thanks for being my moderator, Kylie. Oh, anytime. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye.